Will you please bow your heads with me as we pray? Father God, I pray that you open our eyes to see you, our ears to hear you. I pray that you will write your word upon our hearts, that we will be receptive to your Holy Spirit moving among us in this space and in this time, that we will see Jesus. And it is in his strong name we pray, amen. So my friends, today in our Bear Witness sermon series, this particular sermon comes to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So open your Bibles or your Bible app on your device and get ready to read along with me. The New Testament begins with the Gospels and then there's Acts and then Paul's letter to the Romans. And after that, you find two of Paul's letters that we know about to the church in Corinth, 1 and 2 Corinthians. So flip past all that, hit 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to start reading in verse 7 where a new sentence begins, kind of like halfway into that verse. And we'll go through verse 10. So read along with me here and listen with the eyes and with the ears of your heart. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So kind of as Beth mentioned, back before Paul ever wrote this letter, before Paul was really Paul, he was Saul. And Beth's story comes from Acts chapter 9, where we find Saul walking on the road to Damascus. And he has been this vile persecutor of Christians. And on this road... He experiences this amazing vision of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And in that moment, Jesus transforms Saul into an apostle, gives him a mission to proclaim the gospel far and wide. And Jesus tells him that he's going to suffer for Christ's name. So there was a belief held back in biblical times that if you had this kind of a vision, Oh my goodness, God was tremendously blessing you. Likewise, if you were having to suffer, if you had pain, if you had trials, oh, the belief held that God was displeased with you. So for our letter where Paul writes to the church in Corinth, when he starts talking about this thorn in his side, a thorn in his flesh, he does that to remind himself from being conceited. It, it helps him remain humble. It helps him stay grounded about this vision and stay grounded about the calling on his life. Now, we don't know what this pain is. It could be something physical. Maybe it was epilepsy or malaria. Um, it could be something mental. Maybe he had bouts of depression. Or it could be something spiritual. Maybe there was a particular temptation that kept coming after him. 
Paul doesn't even try to explain it himself in any of his writings, but over the centuries, biblical scholars certainly have tried to analyze it. The point for us is not so much specifically what ails Paul. It's the way that this trial reminds Paul that he is not sufficient on his own. He must rely completely and totally on God. So Paul bears witness to God's incredible grace. This sermon series that we've been having about how we bear witness to God's character, his love, his power, is a little convicting for me. And this sermon especially, this passage, it makes me wonder, do I bear witness to God's incredible grace? I am an only child. I don't know if I've told you that. Um, I, I have no siblings. For that matter, uh, no cousins. I'm, I'm the only niece or nephew, whatever, um, grandchild on both sides. So I was practically born an adult. So I probably spoke full sentences at birth. <laughs> but as an only, I was raised to be self-sufficient. I am rather independent-minded and oh, just... Asking for help is not in my nature. My poor husband, he, he still asks when we're getting married. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, really, I, I tell you this because one of the biggest lies that I am often tempted to believe is that I am sufficient. I've got this all, I can do this marriage, I can do this kid raising thing, I can do this job, I'm sufficient. And what God uses are these trials in my life to demonstrate, to, to remind me over and over that that's not true. And really, it's quite humbling, I have zero sufficiency. And like Paul, I must rely on God, on his power, on his timing, on his grace. So when my friend Paul speaks of this divine sufficiency in his letter to the church in Corinth, I can see how life under grace, life made new, is the exact reverse of his former life. And as he writes to the Corinthians, he now lives for Christ and as the Savior showed him, he does suffer trials and pain. And today's sermon passage tells us that Paul begged God to remove the pain several times. And despite his appeals to the Lord, Paul does not receive the answer he wished. Over time, Paul begins to see the use for this thorn in his side, this nuisance, this anguish. And it works to save him from being prideful. It serves to advance the gospel. The lesson Paul learns, and he shares it so faithfully with us, it's very personal. It's personal for him, and it's personal for us now. It's a lesson on finding peace in the midst of hardships and afflictions. 
When the Lord says these powerful words, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So let's take a moment to consider what God does not say. We might expect Paul to hear, well, you can't always be on top of the world, or every cloud has a silver lining, or maybe even it builds character. But none of these popular sayings come to us through this experience of pain and suffering. Instead, the divine message causes Paul to look beyond himself, to look to God, and to look to God's power. Paul is not to fear his own weakness. And that's just part of our human condition. Instead, this weakness allows for Paul to experience God's grace and for God's grace to operate powerfully. So what is this grace? To expand a little bit more on what Beth was talking about, it, it often means God's favor. It's the way that God looks at us and forgives us as though we didn't deserve judgment and punishment for all of our ugly sin. Our Lord strengthens us. He assists us to bear our troubles. And God's grace is God like extending himself to us. He's reaching out for us. He inclines toward us, even the likes of us, because he loves us and he wants to bless us. God steadfastly loves us even when we are, frankly, unlovable. Very simply put, grace is not receiving what we deserve. And God shows us grace in abundance. As we are entering into this season of thanksgiving, I'm so grateful for this. I'm grateful for the ways that you and I may bear witness to God's grace. You see, in God's saving grace, he purchased our freedom. He forgave all of our sins through the blood of his son. And this immeasurable gift is yours the moment you call Jesus Lord. There's no method to earn it, and we don't deserve it. And God doesn't even stop there. He continues giving us even more grace, more loving kindness, more wisdom, more understanding. And thank goodness he does. I thank God for his numerous grace because as my friend Paul writes in Romans 7, I do not practice what I mean to do. Instead, I do the very thing I hate and then I'm filled with regret. I don't know about you, but sin comes quite naturally for me. But having a right relationship with God, that takes focus. We have to focus on knowing and obeying God's word. We have to focus on embracing the Holy Spirit and being spiritually formed. On my own, I'm naturally going to say or do the wrong thing. But when I confess my sin, when I try to change that behavior and change my way of thinking, our gracious God forgives every time, all the time. 
I am so grateful that God's grace is greater than my numerous sin. And not only are all of my sins forgiven when I repent, but when I feel forgiven, I am much more likely to be forgiving of others. Right here in worship, we pray every week. We say the Lord's Prayer, and we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do we mean it, church? Do we mean both sides of that prayer? Forgive us as we forgive? Sometimes forgiving like that requires the strength of God. Because when I'm left to my own thoughts and my own motives, I'm weak. But in God's strength, there is this forgiving grace. And then if you were here last week and you heard Roland preach so much like he believes, I believe, in a second chances kind of God. Every morning, God graciously offers the chance to begin anew. Yesterday's mistakes give way to a clean slate. Every day there is new grace, a new chance to grow, a new opportunity to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. I can tell you as an only child, it is easy to first think of me, myself, and I. But in the fruit of the Spirit, I am growing. I can demonstrate love for others. Instead of anxiety, I can be full of joy and peace. Instead of tapping my foot, I can be full of patience. Because of the fruit of the Spirit, God gives me self-control so that I can act with kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness. I also appreciate that God's grace gives me freedom. It's freedom from sin and it's freedom to serve. In this freedom, I don't have to be sufficient. I can be the person that God created me to be before the lies of this world can attach themselves to me. I can ask someone for help without worrying that they think I'm inadequate. And instead, there's a desire to be faithful to the one who created us. In God's freeing grace, we are each fearfully and wonderfully made with a purposeful design. Getting to know God through his holy word, becoming biblically literate, becoming spiritually formed, that helps us to know God's unique purpose for each one of our lives. When Paul became the recipient of grace, he became the apostle of freedom, freedom from sin, freedom to serve our gracious God. And then finally, I want to share with you that I am grateful for God's eternal grace. God promises to be with us at all times. His Holy Spirit counsels us and it prompts us all of our days. He is with us in every present moment, whether it's a good moment or a bad moment. And then all of those moments lead up to a glorious future with him. Even when we endure trials and pain and suffering, 
The Lord is always reaching for us, extending himself to us, his favor and his grace to help us through the tough times. God's grace is sufficient. His grace is big enough to cover all areas of our lives. It covers the good and the bad and the ugly, all of it. No matter what we've done that we knew we weren't supposed to do, no matter what we didn't do that we know would have been right, God is gracious. So he fills in that gap where we humanly fall short and make mistakes. And that is fantastic news. Today, I invite you to allow for God's grace to be sufficient and to cover all areas of your life. You don't have to go it alone. And God is not concerned with perfection, but for us to grow and depend on him more and more. God's grace shines the brightest in the most broken places of our lives. When God says, my power is made perfect in weakness, it's one of those scriptural double take moments for us. It doesn't make sense on the surface. God is certainly able to deliver Paul from this thorn in his side. God could have chosen to demonstrate his strength and his power that way. But it's not God's mighty deliverance that is sufficient. Instead, the Lord left Paul with this injured state. And he points out that his divine power is made perfect in weakness, in brokenness, in weariness. God's power is at its greatest when we are at our weakest. And what we need most when we're weak is God's sufficient grace, not some dramatic deliverance. And that is so backward from how the world operates. We prefer to act like we've got it all together and to receive human credit for our accomplishments, maybe a pat on the back or a compliment. But that human pride of mine goes before a big fat fall. Human sufficiency is the opposite of God's way. Think about it. If I were able to sustain myself through trials by my own strength or my own intelligence, then I'd take some of the glory. I know I would. But thankfully, I can't sustain myself in the slightest. If God's grace alone is sufficient to sustain us, then we don't take the credit. God does it all, and God gets all of the glory. So we boast only in him. We can delight in weakness because we know God's power will be on display. And then we bear witness to God's grace, his glorious, sufficient grace. Only then are we strong. Amen. Oh, holy God, help us to see the value of every time that we feel weak, to know 
that that is in your strength. That is when you are going to show up and show off in magnificent ways. Grant us courage to trust in that, to lean on you, and to proclaim you everywhere we go. In Jesus Christ's strong and perfect name we pray, amen. Um, just a couple announcements for you guys. Uh, it's going to take just a minute. So um, we want to share with you some stuff coming up for Advent uh, to give you a little tease for what's happening, the schedule, and then we'll reveal more as the weeks come. But we want to let you know, of course, uh, on December 12th, we're going to have this all-church and community-wide event that we'll do that evening, December 12th at 5 p.m. You guys probably know what's involved. Some live animals, apparently a camel this year because the camel's alive, so that's good. Yeah, uh, the band's gonna play. It'll be a great night to come. Uh, we're gonna see some nativity scenes that uh, church members have. They're gonna bring them up and set them up. It'll be a great night, a great opportunity uh, to bring friends. Then on the 19th in the traditional services, uh, the choir, and then we'll have uh, some special music that they'll present, and then we'll have our normal service at 9.30. And then on Christmas Eve, we're gonna have four services, five o'clock, seven o'clock, nine o'clock, and 11 o'clock, and all four are gonna be completely different. Four totally unique services, and we'll tell you guys more about those um, in the weeks to come. Um, and remember, a couple years ago, pre-COVID, uh, as we went into the Advent season, we invited you to bring a plus one throughout Advent, right? We invited you to find somebody in your life who not only needs to know the mercy and the grace of Jesus, but they just need a family. They need a home. They need a place that will love and care for them. Uh, what better time to get that going again, right? Our world definitely needs uh, people to walk alongside of them. So just consider that again this Advent season. We've got a great schedule, a lot of stuff going on. Of course, we have church every single week. Uh, but it's just a great opportunity just to think of one person in your life that you think will be receptive and could really benefit, not only from knowing Jesus, but knowing your church family. Um, there, there are clear studies that show that 87% of people who were genuinely invited by one of you to come be a part of the church, they will come. Not because I tell people to come, because you invite them to come. So it matters. Your invitation matters. So I just really encourage you this Advent season uh, to think about that. Okay, uh, so Advent's a perfect time for us to re-engage, and that brings us to uh, the, ne the next thing. Uh, and I have notes because this could be a little sensitive. So uh, you may have noticed as you look around, we've pretty much removed all of our COVID protocols. Um, we're grateful the church has been kind. You've been respectful of each other. You continue to give each other space. People wear masks and that's fine. Everybody's doing their thing and we're able to gather together in worship. So we got rid of the ropes and the pews. There are no more mandating anything. You guys come in and worship. Uh, one of the protocols we put in place when COVID first started um, was to make sure that we had a service online every Sunday morning. For the first few weeks, we had to do that because we just weren't meeting in person at all. Uh, but moving forward, we committed to that over time. Um, but that takes a significant amount of resources and work to pull off every week. Um, and we believe that uh, now it's time for us to make a change to that. So uh, we understand that there are some people, especially some older people, who still shouldn't be around large groups. So we are still going to put out a service every Sunday. But starting November 28th, it's not going to come out in the morning anymore. It's going to come out later in the day, sometime later in the afternoon on Sunday. Over time, it may even be a little different. It may not be a complete traditional and a complete contemporary. It may be a little bit of both. We still have our podcast that comes out on Monday. We're committed to keeping you connected, but we believe that it's time uh, to begin to really do that in person. Um, we are watching the numbers always. Mark keeps us up to date on what's going on with COVID, so we are paying attention. If something changes dramatically, we will make the changes we need to make, okay? And we will do everything we can to make sure we continue to do this in a safe way. 
But I do want to share with you, <laughs> a little sensitive, we have started to hear from quite a few people um, that the online service has just become a convenient reason uh, to not come, <laughs> to not get dressed on Sunday morning and not participate in worship. And I want you to know, I get it. Um, those first four weeks or so when COVID happened and we were all staying home on Sunday, I had a revelation. Sunday mornings are awesome. <laughs> like for the first time in like 20 years, I slept in on a Sunday morning. Like I just hung out, did nothing. And I'm not, it is awesome. So like I totally get it. And this online service has been convenient and it's been a good way to keep us connected. But at some point when it's about convenience, we have got to remember as the body of Christ, church is not about convenience. It's about covenant and it's about commitment. And it's about the truth that the body is not as effective if we are missing our parts. <laughs> so we need to be together. We need to gather together. And those of you here in the room, you're like, well, he's just talking to the people online because I'm here. <laughs> like you are, and I'm grateful for that. But I also want you to know that we have been able to tell when we look through church attendance to figure out where our people are, the standard we are making for people who have come back to worship is who has come once every six weeks. We need to change that standard. I get every week worship is not feasible for families. It's not feasible for my own family. But once out of every six weeks, that is not activity in the body of Christ. And if we are gonna be on mission, the family just has got to be together more often. Does that make sense? Amen? Is that fair? And listen, I just wanna tell you, I'll put away the notes for a second. Um, the pastor wrote an article a few weeks ago that kind of for the first time put into words what I've been feeling and didn't know how to say. It's easy for me to come in on Sunday morning and look around and just see people that were, that were missing and remember before COVID and after and just notice that the numbers are down. In America, church-wide, the average is churches have lost 30% of their participation. We have not taken that drastic of a hit and I'm grateful for that. But what the pastor wrote and what really sank in and hit me is what I wanna share with you now is that when we talk about this, I'm committing to you and I want you to know this is not about filling pews and this is not about counting heads. You are not numbers. You are family. You are people that we love. You are people that we celebrate with, that we cry with, that we do everything we can to be there with you when stuff goes sideways. You matter to us and you matter to the body of Christ, every one of you. We are not here to do the work of the church. We are here to equip the church to do the work of the church. And we cannot do that if we are not together. So we believe that it is time. It's time for the family to get back together. So I hope that over the next few weeks as we get into Advent that you'll just really think about this. I know it takes a schedule change. It takes a change in our patterns. But y'all, it is worth it. It is worth it. God's kingdom is gonna continue, right? He's gonna do his work. But the incredible thing is that he's invited us to be a part of it. <laughs> he's invited us to be a part of it. This is an incredible privilege. And as a family, we get to get together every week and we get to equip one another and get ourselves ready for whatever he has in store for us in the week to follow. Amen? Amen. Does this make sense? This is not meant to shame in any way at all. It's just meant to remind all of us of how important every one of us is to what God is doing here in the life of this church and the future he has for us, okay? I'm gonna say a quick prayer and then Sabrina's gonna come up. Did I forget any, I forgot something. No, okay, it doesn't matter. Um, okay, I'm gonna say a quick prayer and then Sabrina's gonna come up. God, we are, uh, we are, we are grateful. Uh, we are grateful to have family. 
the family that we are born into and the family that we choose. We are grateful that you are building not just a building to fill with random people, you are building a family here in this place at 5520 Kingwood Drive. And you are building a family for the benefit of the community around us. That you are calling us together, not so that we can be entertained, but so that we can be equipped and sent, so that we can be a people on mission everywhere we go. So God, I pray for the church in our country and worldwide. We have taken a hit over the past 18 months, but I know that the work of your kingdom has not. So pray that your spirit would just convict us and remind us that you've given us an invitation to be a part of that work. It's time to take you up on it. So we pray that you'd guide us, that you'd prepare us as we celebrate this Advent season, as we get ready for your coming, and we celebrate Christmas together as a family. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So my friends, before we go out into our mission field, please stand if you are able and let us each say a good word over each other. You go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being there. Christ lives in you and has something he wants to do through you where you are. Believe this and go in the grace and love and power of Jesus Christ. Amen.